Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Kicking Out at Two. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth, and uh, we got a pretty cool show planned for you this week. Something I've been wanting to do for a long time, and that's do a watch along of an episode of WCW Saturday Night. Uh, this episode is the June 19th, 1993 episode. It runs 57 minutes and 33 seconds. Um, and one of the reasons why I picked this episode was mainly because <laughs> it, it's silly to say, uh, but the um, this is the episode where we got to see the underground cult classic in wrestling history, the Beach Blast mini movie that consisted of Sting and the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith confronting Sid Vicious and Vader on the beach as a little preview of their main event match that was set to take place at the Beach Blast pay-per-view. Uh, a few short weeks later uh, so that's one that's really the main reason why I picked this episode uh, I've also never watched it before too so this will be the first time I'm, I'm literally watching it with all you guys um, and plus, uh, for those of you that follow this show, also know that you know I collaborate with Kobe Nida as a part of the Retro Mania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network, and um, him and I did a show called "Marking Out the Days Weekend Warriors" season one, covering um, episodes of WWF Superstars and WCW Saturday Night head to head, and uh, so I never really got a chance to do a watch along um, of. WCW Saturday Night episodes, but it brought me back to my my childhood when I was younger and when I was able to watch a fair amount of wrestling. Um, you know, like I've told you in, in past pro, uh, podcasts, um, you know, I wasn't able to stay up late and watch, you know, the late night wrestling or... Um, you know, get a whole lot of the pay-per-views, but my wrestling consisted of a lot of Saturday morning and even some Saturday evenings um, on the weekends. But anything during the weekday, it, it didn't really happen a whole lot. It was few and far between. So, uh, you know, this year, the first time I've ever, you know, be the first time I've ever watched it. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Um, Speaking of Retromania, you can find all of our shows kicking out at two, as well as all the other great shows on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network by searching Retromania with a W. You can find us on Podbean. You can find us on Apple Play or uh, yeah, Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, excuse me, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, and all of their podcast platforms available. Um, kicking out at two is still on the home of SoundCloud.com. Um, that's where we originated, and that's where you know I'm, I'm keeping things as well as you know branching off into other podcast platforms available trying to get the name and the brand out there as much as i can along with the retromania pro wrestling podcast network there's some great shows on that network too um you know if you, if you guys like fantasy booking hulkamania is dead is is a great series um life in the wwf without hulk hogan from 1984 to 1993 that's a, that's an interesting take um and for wrestling historians out there, I think you guys would like it. Also, Origins of Attitude, Gaijin Wrestling Radio, um, Kicking Out at Two, Marking Out the Day's Weekend Warriors. Like I said, Marking Out the Day's Weekend Warriors was a show where we would recap uh, superstars and Saturday night on the particular dates in wrestling history. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And we would pick, you know, what, which was the better show on that date, what we liked, what we didn't like. So Kobe and I had a lot of fun doing that. You could find that season, season one, in the archives at the Retromania Pro. Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. You can also find Kicking Out at Two on social media, both Facebook and Twitter. Facebook.com forward slash Kicking Out at Two, as well as our Twitter handle at Kicking Out Two, K I C K N O U T, and the number two. Um, Links to archive shows are up there. We also got, you know, uh, polls and pictures and GIFs and memes and, you know, post some videos from time to time. Uh, did some watch parties uh, on the Facebook page during WrestleMania season. So uh, we'll probably continue to do some, some more stuff like that as well as time goes on. But you can find all the fun over there. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, we'd really appreciate all the love and support, as I currently do to this day. Um, all right. Let's do this. Um Watch party here, WCW Saturday night, June the 19th, 1993. You're going to find it on your WWE Network when you go search. Um, go to the in-ring section. Click on that. Then you're going to scroll down to the left-hand side. You're going to see the WCW section. Click on that. Then you're going to see WCW Saturday night. You click on that. And then you're going to scroll all the way to June the 19th, 1993. Like I said, the show runs 57 minutes and 33 seconds. Um... Make sure you have the sound off so you can hear my running commentary from time to time. 
I will turn the audio up on my end uh, to uh, listen to, uh, you know, an important promo or so. I'm definitely going to turn the audio up for the Bash at the Beach or the Beach Blast mini movie. Um, so, uh, you know, be on the lookout for that. I'll give you a heads up. Um, and that's that. And when I say, when I, I'll give you guys a countdown. When I say play, you'll hit play. And uh, we will be off to the races for this uh, Beach Blast WCW Saturday Night Watch Party. Um all right, so let's do it in five, four, three, two, one, hit play with the WCW Saturday Night logo. Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff scheduled for the main event to take on Ricky the Dragon Steamboat for the world television title. Looks like we'll see Too Cold Scorpio in action, as well as Sting and the British Bulldog will be on the program, as well as the Masters of the Powerbomb, Sid and Vader. Looks like we're going to get a flair for the gold with Colonel Robert Parker. There you see uh, William Regal, who was once known as Lord Stephen Regal. Um... And this episode of WCW Saturday Night emanating from Center Stage in Atlanta, Georgia, a famous uh, wrestling hotspot for uh, WCW, uh, where they were where the majority of their um, their uh, their programming emanated from. At least the Saturday Night programming, as we see Sid and Vader making their way out to the ring with you see Colonel Robert Parker in the background, as well as. The manager of the man they call Vader, the greatest wrestler on God's green earth, Harley Race. And it looks like these two poor schleps uh, definitely earn, are going to earn their payday. Um, we don't even get their names here. There's no lower graphic. Um, I apologize, but does it really matter? No, it doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, this is uh, definitely a showcase match, hyping up uh, Vader and Sid for the Beach Blast encounter with um, Sting and Davy Boy, which we'll discuss at further length in this recording. Uh, oh, Jesus. Choke slam by Vader. Um, Vader must be missing a glove because uh, he's only out there with one glove. Normally he wears two. Um, <clears throat> you know, as a youngster... Um, trying to recall this uh this this time period in wcw didn't watch a lot of 1993 wcw a little bit here and there but um you know this pairing with sid and vader is a really underrated super team you know you have these over the course of wrestling history there have been you know alliances of sorts with um two superstars that merge together they'll eventually form a tag team be in the tag team division um but this was you know this was a situation where um you know it was uh, few and far between that we saw pairings like this uh sid with the power bomb here are we done is this over one two three yeah as, as, as quickly as it started it quickly ends um this uh, this pairing was um, one of the very few like super team pairings in wrestling history. And of course, you had like, you know, Hogan and Savage, and then you know Savage and Warrior were a pairing. Jake the Snake and Undertaker was looked at as like a super team. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of other like pairings of sorts that were well then you had of course you know in, in years prior to that, even before Hogan and Savage, you had the superpowers of. Um, of uh, Dusty Rhodes and Nikita Koloff um, in, in Jim Crockett promotions, that was a that was a a very popular tandem, um, and this was a case here where uh, it was a um, it was it was a necessity to pair these two together. Um, I've always thought that Colonel Robert Parker was a very underrated manager. I always liked the 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 the, the Colonel Sanders type uh, gimmick that he would. Um, he would have here the greatest promoter in, in wrestling history as he built himself. I really enjoyed the the gimmick. He got heat and you know, he, he was he was easily hateable and whoever he was paired with was was hateable. Um eventually we'd have the stud stable with like Bunkhouse Buck and Dick Slater. Terry Funk was a part of it at one point. Arn Anderson was a part of it at one point. Um, but this here, this this alliance, the the masters of the power bomb with uh, Harley Race uh, representing Vader and Colonel Robert Parker representing Sid. Um, I, I I don't recall 
much of it because I didn't watch a lot of WCW at the time, but this looks like a really cool pairing and a lot of potential on the table as Harley Race, uh, you know, mouthing off into the mic. Let's play the audio for these two, Vader and Sid here. Most powerful men in wrestling today, you're looking at the masters of the Powerball, brother. Easy boy, Stinger. I'm begging you, I'm begging you, go to the WCW committee and ask them to call it off. Because we're not coming to win. We're not coming to look good. We're coming to cause pain. We're coming to hurt you. Tell them, tell them. Another incoherent promo from Sid, uh, who he's always been known for over the years. But um, yeah, you know, I, I, a very underrated tandem, I must say. Sid and Vader um, doesn't really get talked about in terms of like super alliances, you know. And in years, you know, over the years, like I said, it's been the the, the mega powers with Hogan and Savage. Um, you know, eventually Savage and Warrior had a, a, an alliance of sorts. Um, even you know Austin and Rock at one point had somewhat of a a, a an alliance, um, even though the two of them were polar opposites. Um, that doesn't really get talked about a, a ton. But um, here we see uh, footage from the Clash of the Champions from <clears throat> the previous week. Excuse me. Uh, the this is probably one of the the most. Um, Underrated tag team matches in wrestling history. Ric Flair and Arn Anderson taking on um, the Hollywood Blondes in a two out of three falls match for the unified um, world tag team titles. Uh, this was when Ric Flair was... I believe this, if I'm not mistaken, this match here that they're showing was Ric Flair's first match back in WCW. He had a clause in his contract with the WWF um, that, you know, he was allowed to leave. Um, he, he he left in January of of ninety three, um, but and he was allowed to sign with WCW, but he was not allowed to wrestle. So he was allowed to be on the program, but just wasn't allowed to wrestle. So that's where the flair for the gold segments would um, would come into play uh, with. Um, you know, Flair and Arn, that like talk show segment style. Uh, you know, reminiscent of you know shows like Piper's Pit, but um, yeah, this match here, uh, I've watched it before, I watched it on a Flair DVD, it is a really fun match, um, crowd was super hot for it, um, I suggest you go check this out, June 16th, 1993, Clash of the Champions, uh, Ric Flair and Arn Anderson versus the Hollywood Blondes, um, the finish comes when Barry Windham eventually gets involved in the, the, the third and deciding fall, um, causing a disqualification. Barry Windham was, I guess, Barry Windham was kind of like the, the conduit to to um, to informing the Hollywood Blondes. You know, he was tagging with Pillman um, from time to time. They had like a, I wouldn't say like an oddball pairing, but um, they were... Um, they were just two guys that were thrown together as as heels and eventually um, would come together. Yep, see, here he comes, Barry Windham. Windham jumping off the top rope onto Flair. Referee sees it and calls for the bell and Arn Anderson getting involved. And, yeah, so Windham was kind of like the, the, the associate of the Hollywood Blondes because of his issues with Flair. And, of course, Windham having history with Flair, not only as a rival but also as member of the Horsemen. Um, this was um... – oh, wait a minute. What we got here? Look at this. Yeah, the, yeah. Oh, Paul Roma. That's right. Four Horsemen member Paul Roma. Um I believe this was after he was um, announced as a member of the Horsemen, um, and we've talked about that on this this show. Um, Roma and his role in history as a member of the Four Horsemen, not history, not very treating him very kindly um, in that particular role. 
But uh, yeah, go out of your way to watch this match. I, I, if I'm going to give you one match to watch uh, this week, go ahead and watch this match because it's a really fun match. Even with this bullshit finish at the end, um, it's still a lot of fun. Can't help but get into it, especially the crowd. crowd was super hot for it. Like I said, this was Flair returning to the ring. He hadn't wrestled in months um, since his departure from the WWF, and uh, this, was a, this was a lot of fun. Um, this was probably the first time I could get behind Ric Flair as a babyface because as a youngster, I was so used to him being a bad guy. Um, so this was the, the very first time... Um, that I that I had got to see Ric Flair as a good guy, um, or maybe was this ninety three? So let me see ninety two, ninety one, ninety. You know he was a bad guy for most of my my fandom. Yeah, that's probably the first time here. Um, Barry Windham, very underrated performer, um, a guy who probably should have been the world champion, um, <clears throat> you know, four or five times over. I really enjoyed his work, um, his look. Um, he was just believable in the ring. Uh, got his size, could move. Ooh, yeah, look at that. Flair getting Flair getting into it with Wyndham here. It's not over yet. And this pretty much is the, the catalyst for um, Flair and Wyndham at Beach Blast. Because I believe, if I am not mistaken, Flair was... Or no, Wyndham was the WCW International Champion. He, you know... He wore the big gold belt, but um, he wasn't uh, he he wasn't the WCW World Champion. He was the international champion. It was like it was like what you, we have today with like the WWE Championship and the WWE Universal Championship. Um, that was like their secondary world title. As we see Fury from the Wrecking Crew, I've never even seen this guy before. He's wrestling uh, Marcus Alexander Bagwell, um, who would go on to. Uh, you know, become Buff Bagwell and a member of the NWO. Um, <clears throat> another guy in wrestling history that um, had all the potential in the world and for whatever reason, it just didn't come together for him. Um, good look, um, solid in the ring. He wasn't the best in-ring performer, but he was solid. Um I mean, he really put the pieces together with the Buff character, and, and the NWO certainly helped. If there was anybody that really benefited from being a part of the NWO, uh, was this guy here, Bagwell. Um, really reinvented his character and made him into a star. I mean, I looked at him, I thought he was superstar written all over. Um, I just, I was, I, I, I saw big things for him just based on his look, um, his character. I really thought that he was going to be one of the... I thought he was really going to be a building block for the future of WCW. And then I think eventually um, that future was a little too late. Um, with, you know, he, he would eventually get bigger breaks into the main event or close to the main event, higher up the card. There we see Teddy Long, and it looks like he's uh, he's uh, sitting with uh, some of the kids in the audience uh, scouting um, Bagwell. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe... Is he scouting him or is he already managing him? I am not quite sure. Because um, I know that he would eventually manage him in uh, Two Cold Scorpio as a tag team, which was a which was a decent little team. Um, it's not remembered as one of the, the best tag teams of all time, but in WCW, they were a decent um, pairing. Uh, Scorpio and Bagwell, they worked well with each other. At least that's how I perceived it. Um, you, know, you know, recalling back. Um, nice hit. Nice uh, leapfrog into an arm drag or hip toss. Now we got an arm drag. Bagwell, uh, the aggressor so far against this guy from the wrecking crew. Don't even know who he, he kind of looks like Matt Morgan. Um, the blueprint Matt Morgan from, uh, from, uh, TNA impact wrestling or used to be, um, he would eventually have a run with WWE at one point. He's another guy that I think had a ton of potential to be something. And, um, his, uh, his, uh, it just didn't come together, but, um, yeah, Bagwell would eventually go a little higher up the card in WCW towards the end, um, a part of that New Blood Millionaires Club storyline, he would win the tag titles, uh, with Shane Douglas, um, and he would, he would eventually, he would work with guys like Canyon and, um, Ernest the Cat Miller, um, 
But, uh, you know, and then he would tag with Luger. They were a team at one point, like really towards the end. Um, but yeah, just didn't, uh, didn't, didn't fall in line for him. Um, Bagwell probably has a, you know, gets, gets a reputation for, um, the way he conducts himself professionally behind the scenes. And I think that kind of clouds the, the judgment of some fans. Uh, um, he's been known to, um, I wouldn't say no show events, but, um, just not very professional with, um, with promoters, um, on the independent level. Um, I've heard a few stories regarding his conduct and just the way he conducts himself. And, uh, you know, I, I've told the story before about the fight with Shane Helms and that was from Shane Helms firsthand account when I spoke with him a number of years ago about it. Um, and Bagwell still, still seems to kind of hang on to that story when it gets discussed. Um, and it's the story seems to change. <laughs> I, I've seen different interviews where like there seems to be new parts of the story that Bagwell adds um, to kind of show him in a in a much more. Fa oh, who's this other guy? Um, <clears throat> don't know who he is. I think he's the other member of the Wrecking Crew. Um, nice drop kick by Bagwell. Um, but yeah, Bagwell uh, would also really. Uh, Oh, we got a one, two, three. How did the referee not see that? Not only the fact that the other guy pulled his foot, but Bagwell had his other foot on the rope. And there we see Teddy Long. Don't trip, Teddy. There we see Teddy Long entering the ring, trying to inform the ref that the other wrecking crew member came in and sweeped his foot. And now this is a situation where instant replay uh, in professional sports would come into play. Look at this. See, referee sees shoulders, but look at that one. You, you Bagwell's foot on the rope, kicking the rope practically. Um, referee's going to, I guess the decision still stands here. Bagwell came up short over Fury from the wrecking crew. Um, and it looks like Teddy Long will be leaving with him. I like that blue suit. There's uh, there's my guy, Tony Schiavone. Tony going to uh, discuss what just transpired with Bagwell. Let's, uh, let's take a listen here. We're to try and tell the referee what exactly happened during that match. Well, Tony Schiavone, let me say one thing now, that I saw exactly what happened. All these people here tonight saw what happened. But one thing about referee Randy Anderson, we can't hold him responsible because he didn't see it. The man can't call what he can't see. But in my opinion, Marcus Bagwell is the true winner of that match right here tonight. Marcus, I know it's tough. Your partner, two Bull Scorpios in Japan. That's a tough way to go, but it's good to have a man like this, Teddy Long, standing right there. Well, first things goes to Teddy Long. And I say things goes to these fans, and they saw what really happened. But look at me and two Bull Scorpio. We've gone two or three rounds with you before, and we're not afraid to go around with you again. Next week, right here, two Coast Scorpio and Marcus Alexander Bagwell, and hopefully Teddy Long may be in our corner on this one. Teddy, you were the manager of the World Tag Team Champions before, and I'm asking you nicely to come down, watch me and Scorpio work out of the gym, maybe you'll get in our corner with us. Marcus Bagwell, I want to say one thing. I want to thank you very much and let all the homies know that next week you and Tuco will be training. You'll be ready for the wrecking crew. And brother, you asked me to be, to be at the school with you watching and train. Maybe I can give you some advice to help you in your career. Thank you very much. All right, Kenny Long and Marcus Alexander Bagwell. More still to come on TV. Stay with us. All right. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Here it is. The WC. The Beach Blast movie. Yeah, 
This is so corny, it's great. I love it. Very campy, the volleyball scene. Sting and Davy Boy playing volleyball with the, the kids. Sting in his little neon shorts. in the background with the farmer's tan that's hilarious <laughs> and why is Sid wearing wrist tape at the beach oh god you can't be serious this is hilarious <laughs> shorts like that Sting's got oh whoa, whoa, hold it. Looks like we've got some uninvited guests. good observation hey, Davy boy what's going on look it's Sid and Vader what do you suppose they want <laughs> nice flip flops Sid hey, everybody just stay here for a second this looks like it could be pretty interesting Davy let's go see what they want yeah Yes! 
They're just desperate people, and desperate people do desperate things. But I'll tell you one thing. They're going to be tough. Okay, guys, let's go back and play some volleyball. Let's have some fun. Good observation, Sting. Wow. With your green shorts. Karen, Christy, what would you want to tell me? Um, huh? there was a funny guy hanging around the boat. A funny guy hanging around the, the boat? Say what? Hey, Sting! Sting, where's he going? No, they wouldn't. Stay. <laughs> this is <laughs> 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 crocodile tears. Couldn't even fake it. say about that that was a that was a cinematic work of art it was a masterpiece in in the annals of professional wrestling history it's gone down as a cult favorite uh in terms of its hokiness and and campiness as we see the british bulldog davy boy smith making his way into uh the uh, center stage arena for his uh his upcoming match here um yeah i mean that was, that was the reason why I really wanted to do this 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 watch along today. Um, not because of any of the action in the ring, just but because of that. I mean, so if if any of you want to shut off the podcast right now, I won't hold it against you by any mean. Uh, Tony Zane is the 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 victim of Davy Boy Smith. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's regarded as as you know one of the low points in the existence of WCW. Um, I know from uh, listening to uh, the, the What Happened When podcast with Tony Schiavone and even uh, Eric Bischoff's uh, podcast, 83 Weeks, um, there was a lady by the name of Sharon Sadello that was um, highly instrumental in um, helping produce um, and put together that little mini movie. Um, and would do a number of those during this era of WCW. If you remember during the Sting, Jake the Snake, Roberts rivalry heading into their match at Halloween Havoc, they had that spin the wheel, make the deal. Um, they did a little mini movie highlighting that with like Jake and Sting in this like old divey, like dump, dumpy bar, um, you know, spinning the wheel to determine which match they're going to have at Halloween Havoc. And there was, you know, uh, I believe that the same little person that played this shark was also in that movie as well. Medusa was in that also. Um, I believe there was also the hyping up the Sting Vader strap match for, um, for Super Brawl. Uh, in February of 93, which is a few months prior to this uh, that we're watching, um, they did a little mini movie on the White Castle of Fear. She was very instrumental in um, putting that together, uh, costing thousands upon thousands of dollars um, to produce um, stuff like that. And I believe after that, oh, we got company. We got Vader and Sid here. Um, Watching on as Davy Boy delivers the power slam one, two, three, and the winner of this match is the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith. Um, WWE Hall of Fame elect, might I add. Um, whenever they decide to do that at the time of this recording, it's still undetermined. Um, when they're going to uh, uh, induct him along with the other candidates into the WWE Hall of Fame. Uh, Davy Boy replay here showing him hoisting up Zane with that running power slam, which uh, which, which has come back as a finisher uh, in in wrestling today from Braun Strowman on on uh, on SmackDown. Um, 
So that was kind of cool. Uh, oh, what we got here? We got a confrontation. Bulldog and in the ring, Tony Schiavone. Let's uh, Vader, Sid, Colonel Parker, Harley Race, all surrounding the ring. Looks like we're going to. Oh, there he is. The man called Stink. Place is going nuts. They look like they're losing it right now. Um, let's play the audio for this. Invader looks like they're not backing down uh, from uh, Sid and uh, and oh what we got here the assassin um, a little bit before my time um, I know that uh, the assassin if I'm not mistaken is this Jody Hamilton this might be Jody Hamilton playing the assassin like I said this is a little bit before my time um, the assassin uh, uh, related to um, the father of uh, former WCW and WWE referee Nick Patrick. Um, I believe uh, Jody Hamilton was uh, responsible for helping um, train Kevin Nash, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Jesse Ventura here with Tony Schiavone. Uh, Jesse Ventura with his, uh, his WCW um, Saturday Night Baseball cap. Where can I get one of those? And that shirt too. I always, I wasn't the biggest Jesse the Body Ventura fan. I always felt like he was angry at the world, um, but uh, very controversial figure in wrestling and even in politics. Um, but uh, yeah, this was during a time period where uh, you know he was a part of WCW, um, kind of trying to bring sprinkle that WWF dust over to W. Oh God, listen to all right. Let's play the audio for this. Cleveland, Ohio. Since Cactus Jack's disappearance two weeks ago. We've received many reported sightings. Fans have said that they've seen Jack buying a Slurpee at a 7-Eleven in Bismarck, North Dakota, leading a tour of Elvis' home in Graceland, romping with Bigfoot in California's Redwoods National Park, and even entering a UFO somewhere near Roswell, New Mexico. But it was a letter from young Stephen LeBlanc of Shaker Heights telling us that he saw Jack right on this very corner with a group of homeless people that has brought us here to Cleveland's Skid Row. Since the name Cleveland has come up time and time again, we decided to check this lead out. We've been in the neighborhood all afternoon asking if anyone has seen Cactus Jack, but so far we've come up with nothing. Now the night has fallen, the police have asked us to leave. Sorry. Police are right. We should get out of here. Not yet. You see that light at the end of the alley? 
We're going to try one last time to see if someone besides young Stephen LeBlanc has seen Cactus Jack. Excuse me. I'm looking for a man that's been seen in this area. His name is Cactus Jack. Do any of you know where he is? Cactus Jack. What kind of name is Cactus Jack? <laughs> it looks like we've come to another dead end. This report is no closer to the truth than any of the others. For all I know, Cactus Jack could be on a UFO. You talking about that WCW wrestler that got all beat up? Yes! Yes, have you seen him? Yeah, he's here. I keep telling everybody, but no one wants to believe what Swampy sees. They say the bottom of the bottle gets in front of my vision. I used to watch Cactus Jack all the time on TV through the pawn shop windows. But now he's right here, right here on the street. Well, can you take us to him? What to him? 20? <laughs> I never did like Jackson's face once. You got a picture of Grant? All right. 50. Here. Now, can we take us take us to him? You better give me a card, too. Why? Because I hadn't seen him in two days, and when I do, I'll call you. Collect. Hey, guys, I got money. Well, I thought he'd take us now. I think he just did. Oh! Hey, stop him! He's got my purse! Oh, oh. No, keep the camera on the action. Let's get out of here. Come on, Bill. <laughs> All right, so uh, for those of you that are wondering, that was the Cactus Jack Lost in Cleveland vignettes. Um, that uh, WCW had produced another Sharon Sadello uh, production uh, within WCW, I think. Um, that was following the uh, the Cactus Jack Vader rivalry, where, and I've talked about it before, and I'm sure I'll do a, a special watch along of that particular episode of Saturday Night. But um, Cactus had wrestled Vader on an episode of Saturday Night, and Vader power bombed him on the concrete floor, and Vader really i mean just the whole scene the way it was produced like really made you believe that cactus was done for um and this was the this was the point in time where like he had disappeared on t off television and they were trying to search for him and eventually it would turn out that he wasn't in, in cleveland with the homeless i think dustin Rhodes would get involved um at one point and they tried to play up the Cactus Jack has amnesia storyline uh, where he doesn't remember who he is. Um, <clears throat> so, some have called that very campy and hokey, and I agree for sure, 100%. But at least, you know, they were they were making an effort. It's not like the WWF was doing anything any better on the other show um, with, with the way they produced television. 1993 was not the best year uh, for wrestling um, in terms of uh, its popularity and its content. 93 and, like, 95 are, like, two of the worst. Um, as we see Lord Steven Regal here, um, who was fairly new to WCW programming at this time, um, <clears throat> thought Regal was a very underrated uh, talent and performer, um, someone who uh, was a staple of my childhood in terms of you know the the mid card in WCW. You saw him, you know, in the 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 U.S. title television title ranks. Um, <clears throat> he just looked like he had credibility to him even as a kid. Um, I really enjoy, I really enjoyed some of his matches with like Ricky Steamboat, um, even Johnny B. Bad. He had a great match with Johnny B. Bad at a pay per view um, in 1994. I think it was Bash at the Beach, um, 1994. But um, yeah, Regal was uh, Regal. Regal's very very underrated. Um, a guy who definitely deserves a, a nod in the Hall of Fame. Um, I'm sure that that's gonna, that that day is going to come sooner or later, without a doubt. Um, Regal, a big part of the, uh, the, the, the the developmental program uh, with WWE at the Performance Center. If I'm not mistaken, I know he was kind of like the head coach um, <clears throat> in, uh, in Orlando. And uh, I'm not totally sure, but 
if he's still there or not. I know he had some involvement in helping open up the the UK Performance Center. That was a nice uh, rolling uh, senton. Um, and Regal gets the victory here, making short work of Davy Richards. Um, but uh, you know he's a big part of their system scouting. I know that I've heard stories and uh, read articles of of Regal kind of scouting all over the world for for athletes. Um, to, uh, to to potentially join WWE, other wrestlers, other professional athletes. Um, Regal's a big part of their programming, program development and uh, developing talent, um, scouting talent as well. Um, and a huge asset to the company, somebody who definitely knows talent. And, uh, you know, f one thing is for sure, um, when it comes to uh, his place in wrestling history, it's definitely on the good side. It's definitely a, 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 he gets a lot of positive uh, reviews from fans, and you know, with his work um, in the ring as well as uh, you know on the mic, his character development, and of course, you know what he's been able to do behind the scenes um, in the last several years. Um, uh, his manager here. Um, who is known as Sir William, uh, is the former Bill Dundee, who, another individual before my time, uh, was a big name in the Memphis Territory. He was like the number two babyface behind Jerry the King Lawler. Um, Dundee, I believe, was working behind the scenes at the time um, for uh, WCW, and uh, they uh, they had put him in this role because Regal was fairly new. Um <clears throat> And so uh, I think they they paired these two together for Dundee to just kind of help groom him along and um, show him the ropes. Um, and Dundee was also a very um, reliable performer. Um, that's just my take as to why they put these two together, even though Dundee, um, I don't have much knowledge of him. Uh, because of his time in Memphis, and like I said, it, be, it came before my time. But I'm just guessing that uh, this pairing was done because um, they needed to, you know, plug some holes or whatever. Uh, let's uh, let, let's take a, let's take a listen to this just for a moment. Thank you. You're welcome. Fans coming up, a flare of the gold on TBS. is the man who brought together the masters of the Powerbomb, Colonel Rob Parker. And now, Nature Boy, Ric Flair! All right! It's our flair for the gold. And Pinky Dollar, you are looking live again tonight. Before I bring out my most distinguished guest, let me just say, Barry Windham, I want you, I need you, Baby, I gotta have you because I got to be the champion ten times. Now, as promised from last week, the biggest news, the WCW, comes from my special guest, the distinguished Southern gentleman himself, Colonel Rob Parker. Thank you for that most gracious introduction, and may I offer you a cigar, Mr. Flair? Oh, good on. Thank you, my friend. I'll smoke it after the show. I was going to say, you are doing one good job here at what you do today, and I want to say this. You know, I hold high regards for you as a talk show host. You're right up there with Arsenio, and that's why I'm here, because as you know well, I'm a promoter. I'm a businessman. My time is very, very important to me. That's why I come here today with some tape I want you to play for me because I just went to a rally just a short time ago, a very, very important rally in which myself and Harley Race united Big Van Vader and none other than a man that rules the world, Sid Vicious himself. They will now be known as the Masters of the Powerbomb. Whoa, I heard about that round. I gotta say, that's the biggest news to hit WCW since the return of the Nature Boy. Well, now, the 
Uh, Flair for the gold, Ric Flair and uh, Colonel Robert Parker. Um, you know, the Flair for the gold was uh, one of the uh, the. I, I felt it was a very underrated talk show segment um, for WCW uh, at the time, um, and just in wrestling in general. Uh, it's probably not known for its most popular moments um on a positive note uh what the heck we got chick donovan here taking on paul roma chick donovan looks like paul roma's father um with that mullet uh, but uh most people remember flair for the gold for the 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 shock master moment uh when the shock master busts through the wall uh most people remember it for when paul roma um uh, join the four horsemen um, two memories that most wrestling fans don't look fondly at um, but uh, I thought the flair for the gold segment was kind of fun um, wasn't you know up there with Piper's Pit or um, Brother Love or anything like that but Jesus what the heck was Roma trying to do there um, but I thought that it was uh, it, it was fun for what it was, um, and it obviously wasn't meant to be something long term because you know this was just something for Flair to do during that time period uh, before he was allowed to wrestle again, per the agreement he had with the WWF. Um, so Roma here not looking like a horseman, um, allowing Chick Donovan. Jesus Christ, this is awful. Um, who the fuck? Chick Donovan. I've heard that name before. I just don't know. Not that he's a star in wrestling, but what the... Yeah, you could tell there's no chemistry in this match. These two just not syncing together here. Um, Roma definitely should be looking more like the aggressor here. Um, especially as a member of the Four Horsemen. If you're going to put him in the Four Horsemen, then... You need, to do, you need to lay out a match that's going to show his dominance here. And he's certainly not wrestling like a horseman uh, against Chick Donovan. Very anticlimactic finish here with Paul Roma giving the victory over Chick Donovan with a splash. Dear Lord. Um, Oh, what do we got here? Well, we got the replay, but before the replay, it looked like something was going down. Um, Roma with the splash for the victory. Nothing to, nothing to really, nothing to write home about. Definitely, when it comes to uh, Paul Roma, um, but it looks like uh, we are uh, we're in the midst of a four horsemen uh, interview. Um, as we see Ric Flair and Arn Anderson out with Paul Roma. Let's, uh, let's take a listen. This win flanked by the nature boy Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. You know, Tony, I was picked to be one of the elites. And I didn't come 
came here to stay with this team. This will always be the best in professional wrestling. So take note, Hollywood Blondes. You're next. The lines are clearly defined. Now the focus is set. We didn't make this thing a personal issue, gentlemen. You did. But understand, we've won more titles. We've broken more bones. We have sent more chaos through the ranks of professional wrestling in the last 10 years than any unit in its history. You want to jump on the dirtiest players of the game? You are the World Tag Team Champions simply because the horsemen weren't in the hunt. Now we're in the hunt, full-blown. The lines are clearly drawn. Mitch, I believe it's people! It's Enforcer! And it's the Nature Boy! And my women! Let's not mince words! I'm back, Barry! We all know why! Just give me the title shot! Just say when and where! I'm on Beach Plus! Wyndham! I want you! Alright, so uh, the the four horsemen here, well should I say three of the four horsemen because there is no fourth at this time, uh, for those of you wondering. Uh, it was supposed to be Ole Anderson in a managerial role, but uh, for whatever reason, um, that didn't work out. Look at this, we have Ricky the Dragon Steamboat um, making his way out for the main event to take on Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Wonderful, they call him Mr. Wonderful. I don't know the rest of the words to this wonderful theme song. Yeah, that was uh, that that was his uh, his his WCW theme song. I believe it was in like '95, maybe. Um, it was very silly and and campy, but uh, I, I I got a kick out of it. Um, this this version of Steamboat here. Um, most people remember the stuff he did with Flair. Most people remember the stuff he did with Rick Rude. Most people remember the you know the the, the match with Randy Savage. Um, the, most people look at this. Oh, I like that the little uh, the little signs that say Paula uh, to get heat on uh, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. I like it. Um, Steamboat was uh, underrated in this era. Um, I, I you know and I think people too like. The narrative has always been that, like, when he did that dragon gimmick, when he spit the fire and he came out with all, you know, the the, the dragon wings and everything else, that, like, it was, it was too cartoonish for someone like him. And me, personally, I didn't have a problem with that. I felt like his character evolved. Um, he, you know, you got to change your look up a little bit. And he just slightly changed his ring gear a little bit, but it wasn't anything, you know, drastic. And he was still the same performer in the ring. He was still putting on great matches. Um, so I, I, I didn't have a problem with it. You know, a lot of people look at that, that time period when Steamboat had changed his look up a little bit as a down period for him. And I really didn't see that because even when he did change his look up, he was, you know, he, he was a big part of the, the storyline with the Dangerous Alliance, his stuff with Rick Rude, his matches with Steve Austin for the TV title. Um, you know, and then eventually um, he would, uh, he would have a great um, series of matches with Shane Douglas as his tag team partner um, and they would take on you know the Hollywood Blondes Steve Austin and uh, and um, uh, Flying Brian Pillman and so I feel like this era of Steamboat 92 to 94 um, kind of gets looked over uh, in wrestling history um, one of my favorite Steamboat matches that I don't think really um gets talked about amongst wrestling fans is a match he had with Steve Austin. I believe it was at a clash of champions in August of 1994. Um, and Steamboat won the United States championship. I remember it because I remember watching that particular clash as a kid and just how exciting the match was. And I believe that was the match that Steamboat had injured his back. And that was when he had, um, he had to, uh, step away from, from, uh, 
in-ring participation and eventually retire from the ring. Um, but I just remember how exciting that match was and how action-packed and him and Steve Austin just had a great performance. Uh, Clash of the Champions from August of 1994. You can find it on WWE Network. Uh, Steve Austin and uh, stunning Steve Austin and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, I believe, for the United States Championship. Go out of your way. Um, I mean, they've had other great matches too. They had a, a great match at Clash of Champions in September of 92. Bash at the Beach 1994. Um, so, I mean, Austin and Steamboat were no strangers to each other uh, during this time period in WCW for these number of years. Um, Orndorff here, um, working on Steamboat. Um, many argue Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff is... I've heard some people call him the greatest of all time um, based on his work and... You know what he what he was able to do in the ring in terms of his work um an old colleague of mine an old podcasting friend um uh harkens back to a conversation or an interview he had heard with tito santana where tito santana says the greatest wrestler he's ever wrestled was paul orndorff um and the work that they um had in the ring and you know to each his own um i do feel like paul orndorff was they missed the boat in the WWF in terms of uh, putting the championship on him. Uh, I really felt that, you know, because Orndorff was so red hot um, as a heel with Bobby Heenan as his manager after turning on Hogan, that Orndorff could have had a run with the title. Orndorff could have... Um, Orndorff could have been a, I wouldn't say a transitional champion, but I think a short-term run with the championship for a few months with Hogan chasing him um, could have drew big business. I mean, they were already drawing big business um, with Hogan as the champion and Orndorff as the challenger, um, but that was the model at the time in WWF. It was, uh, you know, the Hogan the babyface and everyone else, you know, trying to go after him in his title and it wasn't the the baby face chasing the heel champ it was the heels trying to conquer the baby face who the heck is this oh that is dirty dick slater the late dirty dick slater um attacking steamboat here orndorf this looks like it's going to be a disqualification now um sending them into the ropes Double elbow. What we got here? Oh, Ron Simmons. Damn. Making his way into the ring. Going after Dick Slater. It looks like Orndorff's going to get the best of him. What are they doing here? Oh, it's even. The sides are even. Um, it looks like we see the graphics that we're going to be closing out this show. Um, and tomorrow on WCW Main Event, 6.05 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on WTBS. Um, that was one of their secondary shows. And uh, Beach Blast, 1993, July 18th, live and exclusively on pay-per-view. Call your cable operator for satellite and availability. And this ends this watch party here of WCW Saturday Night. Thank you also very much for indulging me and joining me um for this uh this was pretty fun going back and watching this i'd never watched it before um there was some pretty cool stuff with obviously the beach blast mini movie the flare for the gold the cactus jack stuff um you know yeah i had a lot of fun with this and uh i hope you guys all did too um which you know brings me to next week and our next recording um i'll be honest with you I haven't really, I hadn't really thought about what I wanted to do for next week. I was trying to look at like dates in wrestling history. What can I cover? Um, is there an event I could cover? And there really wasn't anything that kind of grabbed out at me. And then as we were doing this watch along, this watch party, um, I, uh, I, um, it, it just kind of came to me. Um, watching the Beach Blast mini movie with Sid and Vader and Sting and Bulldog, and how you know WCW brought their cinematic approach to professional wrestling in a very corny, campy, hokey kind of way. Um, I think I'm going to do something like that with next week's show. As a matter of fact, it's just it, it, the wheels just keep turning as I'm talking here. Um, but what if we decided? What if I decided to do a watch along of the two? cinematic Wrestlemania matches from earlier this year. The Boneyard match with AJ Styles and Undertaker and the Firefly Funhouse match with John Cena and Bray Wyatt. Um, both matches are probably the highlights of this unusual Wrestlemania that we had just saw. Um, so what if I decide to watch it with all of you? 
Hopefully you watch it with me too. That's what I'm going to do next week. So next week, we're going to have another watch party and we're going to watch um, WWE's attempt at a cinematic approach in pro wrestling with those two matches from WrestleMania, which, um, like I said, were probably the most talked about um, from that WrestleMania uh, the, the, with the with the coronavirus pandemic taking over the world. WrestleMania and WWE had to make some changes and they, they had to you know think outside the box and they brought it with that Boneyard match from night one and the, night two with the the, the, the highly talked about um, Firefly Funhouse match. Some people don't even call it a match. Some people call it a long promo introduction to get to a match, and then a match never happened. But nonetheless, um, we're going to go back and watch both of those matches. Um, so join us next week for a special watch party. We're going to kind of ditch the retro format for one week only and talk, you know, and, and kind of uh you know uh, discuss you know the those two cinematic masterpieces really cinematic masterpieces in wrestling history with the boneyard match and the firefly funhouse match so uh be on the lookout for that next week and uh i think it's about that time that we officially put this show down for the three count and we will see you all next week <laughs>